0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Free Drop Podcast and episode 27 with five-time PGA Tour winner and former Ryder Cup player Ken Green. I just want to say thank you so, so much to Ken for his incredibly open and candid answers through this conversation which ranges from tragedy to triumph, and one which I know you guys will thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Before we get to the chat, though, I just want to encourage you guys to give us a follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at freedrop_podcast. underscore podcast. Now let's get to Ken Green. Enjoy. Where did you grow up and what was your home course?
1: Well, I, <clears throat> amazingly enough, I, I grew up in Danbury, Connecticut, um, which is very close to New York City, although I never really went into the city. But I didn't start playing golf until my family moved to the country of Honduras. Uh, and I, this was, you know, 1970 or something like that. So you can imagine I didn't even know what it was, much less a country. And, you know, I found out later that that my mom went there to ch- try to save the marriage because my father was a really bad drinker. And she thought maybe less people there. Maybe he could get his uh, his act together. Uh, so we went there. And the only sport I was allowed to play, because I was American, uh, was golf. There was a little nine-hole golf course there. and And I basically fell in love with it from that point on.
0: What was your earliest golfing memory? I mean, can you remember the first shot you hit?
1: No, but I can remember (laughs) talking about getting, you know, a wake-up call on this little nine-hole golf course. Two of the tees were down by the river, and that's where people uh, would wash, you know, wash your clothes. So, you know, here I am, 11, 12 years old. You know, I got a pretty good wake-up call to – you know, how how some people in the other world really lived and, I, and I've never forgotten it.
0: Amos the career highlights?
1: Well, the highlights would probably been, uh, well, I got to represent Honduras in, in the Central American golf tournament, junior tournament. So that was fun. We really didn't uh, play a lot of amateur golf. Uh, my mom and dad would break up because he couldn't get a, a grip on his drinking. Uh, and my mom didn't have a whole lot of money so I didn't really play a lot of of events like you know kids do today. Um, I did try to qualify for two U.S. amateurs, and I I did make it to two of you two of them made it to match play. Uh, so it wasn't bad considering you know I was kind of a nobody. Uh, then I went to a junior college and started playing better, and then the University of Florida recruited me which was a really good school. And we were, we had a really good team. I think we won like seven tournaments that year. Uh, and then I turned pro.
0: Most satisfying win in your life and why? I, You know, I've been asked that
1: quite a bit and I still think the first one, you know, uh, probably because of one it was the first one and, you know, did you ever wonder whether you were really ever going to win a golf tournament or not? And, and the other is a little personal is that there was a lot of people from my hometown that didn't ever thought I was going to make it, you know, so that was satisfying to show them that, you know, I did make it. My mom was right. Uh, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but it was a, you know, stick it in your face thing. So that that's probably the most memorable.
0: Best shot you've hit in your life? Ooh. Well, those
1: are relatively easy because uh, the the one of the the greatest thing about golf is that you remember those great shots. Uh, not in any particular order, I hit a six iron at, at the international to to win my second tournament on the 16th hole. Uh, you know, it was a really tucked pin with a seriously false front. You really shouldn't have gone at it, but I, I wasn't too bright back then. Uh, and I just flushed it, and it was perfect. And, it you know, it was about 12 feet, and it was a the perfect pop. So that's up there. Uh, the Canadian Open on a Saturday. Uh, a lot of people will remember the six iron tiger hit out of the fairway, bunkered onto the green there. Well, in our day, you had to smoke it to even get there. Uh, I actually hit driver off the deck and should never have hit the shot because the green's too narrow. You can't hold it. And, uh, again, shows my, uh, (coughs) that I wasn't Jack Nichols on the golf course mentally, but I I hit this floater, which, which I intended to hit, which was incredible because it's a really a hard shot to pull off. Uh, the, another one would have been Westchester. Uh, I had to birdie the hole to get in the playoff with Seve and Norman and Frost. Uh, and I just hit a rock-solid three-wood uh, about 25 feet, feet and uh, rolled it over the edge and, and you know, made birdie and lost in the playoff to Seve. And then a shot that w- was so good that you don't get rewarded for, Uh seems that we're talking about the Ryder Cup pretty soon, was the Ryder Cup in 89 at the Belfry. Uh, I don't know if many people remember it, but back then the 18th green had three tiers to it. And the first tier was just a massive tier. It was it was 212 to the pin, 209 to carry the, the edge of the ridge. And I hit what was then called the clique, the equivalent of a, like a five wood. And it went so high and so good and so straight at the at the pin, it was just wow. You know, you just wow under the gun because you know we were getting down to the end of the of the matches there. And I to this day I still don't understand how this happened. It literally flew right at 209, right at the at the edge of the of the of the crest of the of the tier, and it, how it didn't bounce forward a little and be within five feet. I don't know but it hit and went I guess went straight up it ended up rolling all the way back about 75 80 feet and I ended up losing the hole and it was but I'm telling you man it was just you you can't get you can't hit it any better it was it, it, I one of the questions I can't wait to ask the big guy when when we're done is is really really what what'd you do that for <laughs> that's just wrong
0: so then that sort of big I mean that Yeah. My next question is one shot you'd like over. Is it safe to say you'd like that shot over or not?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know I mean? Because I know that what happened, even though I would rather have mis-hit it and and skanked it up on top somehow because I would have made par and we would have tied. You know, I don't know what would have happened in the playoff, but, you know, so that that would be probably the the shot. I've been lucky any other time I've been under the gun. I can't say that if there's any other shot that I would want back, that would be the only one.
0: If not a golfer, what what would you be?
1: Uh you know, I probably would have stayed in the golf business, probably a golf uh, club pro. Uh, I love golf. You know, golf saved my life. With, with uh, you know, the sexual abuse I went through in Honduras, uh, I really feel like if I didn't have if I didn't have golf, I would have uh, I, I would have turned out to be some sort of derelict, a drunk. Druggie, um, so I do think I would have stayed in the golf business. Now, if if we go outside of golf, uh, you know who knows. I I consider myself pretty athletic. I I think I would have liked to say I would have done something in baseball, but you know we'll never know on that one either. But I I'd be stunned if
0: I wouldn't have made it. Looking back on your career, one tournament you would have most liked to have won. Mm, that's
1: easy it's actually there's a tournament here in connecticut called the hartford open uh now i think it's called uh so travelers now. travelers yeah yeah uh that was number one on my list ahead of the masters or the u.s open or or the open i wasn't really i didn't live or die and for for the majors uh i i don't i don't know why i just they just never really, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't have wanted to win one, but the one I wanted to win the most was the one in Hartford.
0: What does a typical day look like for you?
1: These days? Well, a lot
0: depends on my leg and my uh, nerve disease.
1: But, um, you know, I still try to play golf. I love golf again. I I, am from the Arnold Palmer school. Palmer played till he died. Jack, as soon as he couldn't compete, wants really nothing to do with golf. Uh, I'm going to play and, and literally until I drop. So, you know, I'll, I'll play three, if I get lucky, four days a week. Uh, the other days, I try to do some some form of paddle tennis or, or pickleball, uh, bowling. Uh, I have three German Shepherds, which I'm actually kind of surprised haven't made any noise yet. Uh, so, you know, they, they occupy a lot of
0: time, and and then uh, that pretty much covers it. I've only had one previous American on the podcast and it wasn't a player, but it was one of your former caddies, Eric Larson. Oh, um, hey. yeah, because we've got a we've got a mutual friend. So I don't know if he's ever spoken about his um, his trips to uh, to Thailand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, I mean, the 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 hotel that he stays at uh, the Yorkshire in, in Phuket, and his mate, his friend um uh, neil avery is an old golfing mate of my dad's uh, they played they played um, i guess you could call it state golf together um back in back in the 70s and 80s and and uh, neil actually organized that i that i do a podcast with eric i mean what a what a colorful character he is he is a classic <laughs> <laughs> i uh, got a crazy crazy eric started
1: on tour. he started counting for me way back when
0: no, I know, because you guys went to you guys went to college together, didn't you? You and the two of you and, and Mark Halkovecchia as well.
1: Uh, Calc and I went to college together. Er- Eric didn't. Eric, we met... Uh, I met him when I was in junior college.
0: Okay, okay. And then how did the... Yeah, how did the sort of player-caddy relationship come about? I mean, he sort of joked that it was because he realized he wasn't any good as a player.
1: Well, um, he... he... He was okay as a player, you know, not nowhere near the level that he, you know, if you were going to make it, so to speak. Mm. Uh, you know, he wasn't working at the time, uh, and I had an opening because uh, my brother had had left. So I asked him if he wanted to come out, uh, and then he he uh, he came out probably for about three years or so, uh, and then you know the the, the prison thing hit. And then when he came back out, he he got back into it and was, uh, you know, I, I think he had Anthony Kim for a while and and uh, some other players. He's got Harris English now, so he's doing good. Yeah, he he uh, he likes to have fun. There's no <laughs> doubt about that.
0: <laughs> it's um yeah, I mean it's actually quite it's it's actually quite crazy. I mean you know guys talk about um, the longevity of. Of of players and how their careers span thirty years, but at the same time, it's like quite impressive for a caddy to kind of, you know, be able to 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 remain relevant and and, and still pick up bags from you know yourself to I think he also caddied for Jeff Overton for a time, um, yeah. and now now uh, Harris English most recently. Well, it's
1: but, it, it's amazing because actually my cousin Joe Lacava, who is he your caddy- cousin? Yeah. He, I actually wow. got, Joe started with me.
0: Oh, Jesus! I don't know. Yeah,
1: a lot of, they, they seem to let that out when they talk about it for some reason, because a lot of people don't seem to like me, but, uh, he, he started with me and, and he was with me about three or four years and my brother had lost his job and it was still a year later and he hadn't found a job. So I'm stuck. Hmm. So Freddie couples, uh had had fired his caddy so i basically told joe i had to fire him but he i got him the the freddie job and right joe and his family weren't too happy with that they didn't talk to me for a very long time uh but i mean my brother's my brother i mean i you know and i love them both but you know i i I still you know i i mean i it's not like i kicked them out on the street i got him freddie freddie's job and he had a great career with freddie you know, and then he parlayed that into, to, you know, to, to Tiger. So, you know, it, uh, it, it's it's pretty amazing that caddies make the money they make now.
0: Uh, no, it's, un- it's unbelievable. It, it's
1: almost, in my opinion, it's, it's crazy. You know, you're literally, and I don't mean this as an insult to all the caddies. You, you know, you're not, it's not the hardest job in the world. You just got to know what not to say.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, and you can keep pretty much any job. You know, you work 22 weeks a year and, and you're making anywhere from 200 to 1.5 million. Uh, yeah. That's not one of the easiest jobs on
0: planet Earth. I don't know <laughs> what it is. I mean, to be fair, it must be it must be quite, it must have been, I don't know if, if if Joe's spoken to you about it much, but it must have been quite a challenge to go from caddying for someone like couples who, you know, obviously is this supremely chilled Dude, to then caddying for for Tiger, who's super intense, super focused. Um, I mean, there, there's a challenge well, it's, in itself. And, you know, well,
1: you know, the one thing good Joe is Joe is great at is adapting to the person. You know, he he knows what to say and when. Not you know, he knew he could say certain things to me that he wouldn't say to Freddie or vice versa or Tiger. Right. And and that's what the good caddies can do. You know, he 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 knows. You know, Freddie wasn't driven like tiger was you know but so you know it just meant he had to be out there longer and 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 you know maybe help him out in certain aspects that that freddie or myself wouldn't have asked right
0: right but back to back to your your sort of um relationship with with eric so so when when you played on the on the Ryder cup in in 89 and um partnered with with Mark as well, whose bag was was Eric on at the time, and and, and just take he, me. To he that wasn't week. caddying at that point. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, he, he, did, he oh, didn't. 80, Eighty-nine. Okay, probably,
1: okay. I would say ninety-three is when I, he started caddying with me. Oh, okay, sure. I, okay. I, in the Ryder Cup, I had Joe,
0: my cousin, was with me then. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, t- take me, take me to that, to that week, and you know how, how special was it yeah. to, to, to partner was, with. It's what, I, what
1: I try to explain to people is what's so great about the Ryder Cup. In my era, you know, unlike today, uh, our five of our guys really didn't like five of their guys, and those five didn't like our five. You know, the Curtis Strains and the Lanny Watkins and the Tom Watsons and the Sevens and and that mm. they just did not like each other. Mm. You know, there was a lot of animosity back then because of the Europeans felt that they should be able to come over and play whenever they wanted. Mm. And we thought that they should play it. If they want to play our tour, they should play the same amount of events that we have to play. So that went back and forth for God knows how long before they really resolved it. So it it was really, there wasn't a lot of love back then. It really was, uh, it it had gotten kind of ugly, to be honest with you, you know, 87, 89, 91, 93, you know, it, it wasn't till the, the 2000s and then that, you know, now there's so much, uh, they've traveled so much where they're playing together all the time, you know, that they become friendly, you know, they're still going to grind and try their hard off, but it, it's, it's not a, I'm going to beat that SOB you know, mentality. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, yeah. I'm going to beat him because I want to win. Yes. You know, whereas before, if you lost, you were devastated. And if you yeah. won, you were ecstatic.
0: Yeah. And also, I suppose, also around that that period of the 80s and 90s where the concept of continental Europe against the U.S. was still sort of in its infancy. And, you know, they were still trying to kind of, I guess, stamp their authority on the contest itself. Um, So that probably also added to it.
1: Well, it, you know, it was, it was really, when you think about it, you know, they gelled together better and, you know, they still do. I mean, uh I, you'll never convince me that the Tiger and Phil era was the worst scenario ever, because those are two, monster egos and Mm. just look at the record of of how they how our teams played and 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 it's not intentionally they didn't they didn't mean to be the way they were that's just who they are and it didn't mix well with everybody and Mm. you know you'll you'll see a different change now where it's going to go back and forth you know we'll go to have a stretch where we'll win three out of four and then you'll you know because there's such uh it's it's deep And and unlike the media who wants to say, well, you know, the world rankings are this and, you know, we we each have five studs. You know, the the Europeans have five studs. The Americans have five studs. And then the rest, the Americans are a little deeper. But it's not to say those other five Europeans aren't great players. They're really good players. Anything can happen in any given week. You know, it's not like a a basketball where if you're clearly better, you're going to win nine out of ten. You know, it, it means you'll win six out of 10, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to go, it's going to see saw back and forth now.
0: And what are your, what are your memories of, of, of 89? I mean, is there anything when you, when, when someone says to you, Oh, 1989 Ryder Cup, what, what is the enduring memory that you, that you have around maybe um, a particular performance or, yeah? You know, what do you remember most fondly?
1: Well, I mean, you know, Calc and I, uh, we played the alternate shot together. And we we blew him away both times. Uh, and I think that's because we, we just, besides being best friends, our games were the same. You know, we were both aggressive. So we didn't feel like we had to, you know, guide one in there 25 feet. We would go for the pin, and if we screwed up, we screwed up. We knew the other guy wouldn't be upset if I short sided him or he short sided me, and I really believe that that helps the alternate shot is the one format that I think matters. Now best ball. I think you could pair anybody with anybody. I don't think it really matters, but alternate shot. I think it's, it's important to get the right mix. And then, uh, we, we ended up playing, uh, Seve and Jose, uh, the third match and talking about a heartbreaker. (laughs) Jose made four 40 footers in the first five holes and it was like oh i mean that, you know i think we birdie to them so we were a couple down and we just never got it back neither one of us played great you know we didn't we didn't play bad but we didn't play well enough and uh but you know those those 40 footers four of them
0: not one not two four do you um, send the first five holes
1: yeah no oh, it mom. was it was like a it was the dagger it was like oh boy <laughs>
0: You see, that's where Wikipedia can be a bit misleading because you kind of look at the result and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah, I, but when you, when you hear that that's how it started, it's like, okay, it kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah. Like, for instance, I'll never forget. Uh, I had some back issues, but nothing nothing crazy. And the first um, day, Calc and I were, you know, I don't know, we, we were walking away with it. And Floyd was the captain. He came up to me and says, what do you think? And you... You know, can you make it? How are you playing? And I said to him, I said, Ray, if you're if you're ever going to play me twice, today's the day, because I'm putting the eyes out of the ball. Now, when a top player tells you he's putting the damn eyes out of the ball, you should probably play him. <laughs> uh, and he sat me down. I'm not saying we would have won the match, but I would like to think we would have. But you know, and and of course we ended up tying. So I always think, you know, the old what if.
0: So what was his, out of interest, what was his reasoning for, for, for sitting here? What he did never he say? said. Oh, he, really? He,
1: yeah, no, it was, it was different. You know, like now they have, you know, five vice captains and they send out a, you know, a vice captain with every group to see how you're mm-hmm. playing. And they're like, <coughs> Calc and I were of the, of the, of the nature that it didn't matter how we played in a practice round. You know, we we were just Mm. slapping it around and not, you know, just looking at the course, you know, whereas today you have to pay attention in the practice round because they're going to, they're going to analyze you. If they, if they watch Calc and I play in a practice round, they'd tell us to sit down and, you know, just, you know, it just, that's who we were. Mm. You know, we, we didn't really put much into the practice round. It's a you know. It's a practice round you're there to learn the, the the greens basically you know that's that's all a practice round does is is you try to get uh a better understanding of how the
0: greens slope yeah and do you think that's why you guys gelled so well is because your as much as your games were similar your your mental approach was was also pretty similar and you and you knew that it was all about what what happened come come game time rather than what happened during practice
1: yeah I, I really do because uh you know I like even occasionally I'll play with with uh friends here and what they called Ryder Cup events you know where you mm-hmm. match different people different yep. and I'll do it now whereas you know i'm I'm an aggressive putter so if I miss the putt it goes three or four feet by but when I'm playing with somebody else who might not be so good at those putts you end up just lagging I mean you know, that's not, you know, that's not how you should play. You should play your, your, your game. And that's what Calc and I were able to do. We, 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 we honestly, were okay with whatever
0: uh, each other person put us. Yeah. So it's interesting. You, you, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, if, if he had played you, maybe, maybe you guys could have actually ended up winning that, winning that one. I mean, what do you, what do you make of tied matches? I mean, we've just had a, tied solheim cup and, and a lot of people were, were sort of of the opinion that they've that they've got to try and figure out a, a sort of <clears throat> playoff type system well rather I, than it, just yeah
1: it defies logic i have said this for 30 plus years it makes no sense you know ha- have a playoff and uh, figure out what you want to do as a playoff i don't care if you send one guy out there or i might my, my opinion would be an alternate shot would be great mm. um well Speaking of South Africa, you know, the President's Cup used to do playoffs. Yes. And you yes, remember yes. the epic epic oh, Tiger versus Ernie?
0: Yeah, I mean yeah, that was a classic. classic. Yeah.
1: You know, and it 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 ended because of, of darkness, but
0: mm.
1: you know, and then they called it a tie. So at least they
0: tried. That's yeah. the thing.
1: And then yeah. and then after that, they just have decided that no more playoffs. If it's a tie, it's a tie. I, I, that makes no sense. You know, why why it was done that way uh and the pga is kind of stuck i'm amazed the players don't bitch more about it mm. because you know they want uh there to be a winner i mean and you can't tell me that they feel great yeah. that if you walk away with a tie because a team won it two years ago you feel great you don't feel great you tied they know
0: they're tied yeah and i mean this the thing is there's so much build-up between the between the two years and even now i mean Last, I think the last one on European soil was what five years ago now. Like, there's, it's it's hardly like it happens every week or you know every no, every I year. Mean, it, it I believe I
1: believe mine was the last tie, eighty nine.
0: Oh really? Sure. Yeah.
1: That's. I think there was one other tie. I think it was uh the year that Jack gave Tony Jacklin that that yes. three footer. Yeah. I think they tied there. that year, and that was like sixty nine. I think uh then we tied and i don't i don't believe there's been a tie since and you know the solheim just had their first tie and it's just it just makes no sense
0: no not not at all but i mean obviously you've you know you've seen the complexion of of the game change over over the years on uh, that you've that you've been around the game and what would you say is the biggest sort of change you've 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 noticed between when you first started on tour and, and 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 today in terms of or just anything
1: the usga and the rna dropped dropped the ball when they they tried so hard and they were so adamant about keeping the rules the same for amateurs and pros and they were so proud of that Mm. and and to me that's what's kind of ruined golf because the technology now is crazy you know you can't you can't go around changing all these golf courses for you know for hundred players, <clears throat> you know, you just can't do that. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it golf's not as hard as it used to be. I mean, it just persimmon and the ball, anybody, you know, my age or 55 and older knows, cause they mm-hmm. played with, with persimmon. You had to play. If you yeah. were going to make it in professional golf, you had to have game, so to speak. Yes. There are people that play professional golf now that don't know what they're doing, but they're yeah. just athletic enough where they can make it and, and and that's unfortunate you know the great players are still great players you know the, the rory mackery's and the scotty shuffers they would have been great players back in in my era and they would have been great players back in hogan's era and hogan would have been a great player today you know don't I, you know i'm not saying that but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the next level down those those guys are the one that's affecting the most and it's uh it's unfortunate because it could have been easily rectified with just change for parameters and rules for amateurs and rules for pros. Mm. Kind of like what they're about to do
0: if it actually goes into play. Do you think it will actually get passed ultimately?
1: Well, that's the big mystery. I mean, it sounded like it. Then the PJ of America has started voicing their, their uh, opinion as to maybe they don't really believe that's the way to go. But, you know, it's not like And and I'm not an expert on 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 it, but to my understanding, it's not like they're going to roll the ball back or the equipment back. They're just not letting it get any better than where it's at right now. Right. You know, no more you know drives (coughs) that even go farther and farther. So I mean, I'm I'm okay with that. Courses are still going to be outdated for these kids. You know, I mean, it just. it's not like we're going back to the eighties or the seventies. So I, you know, hopefully they'll figure it out, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sad that it happened. It just, you know, I, I always say there's nothing worse than male egos when they, when they butt heads, it's a, there's not much give or take, just look at our politicians.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, just just sort of thinking about what you were saying earlier about just how much you love the game, right? I think that that absolutely fascinates me because given the accident and then the amputation and, and everything you've been through, it would be quite easy to just be like, Ugh, you know, I'm done. Like I don't I don't really feel like playing anymore. What what kind of still motivates you and, and keeps you going? Uh
1: well, I mean just the pure love of the game, but you know, the way I look at it is like <clears throat> there's one thing you're not gonna beat, and that's father time, right? So you have to start realizing that you're playing against yourself. But I, unlike other people that are getting older, because of my injury, you know, losing a leg, I have a chance to actually get better. You know, and to me that was that was a great, you know, purpose or a goal. Is, you know, when I first started playing with, you know, with the one leg versus, you know, five years ago versus now, am I getting better? Am I, you know, is it working? And so I still think I can get better uh, because it's a, it's a process and you have to learn how to play with one leg. You know, there's shots you can't hit anymore. You can't repeat golf swings as consistently as you used to. You know the different lies are unbelievable. It takes a really long time to get used to trying to figure out how you how you're going to be able to hit them. Um, you know, so all that is i i i would literally play golf every day if I could. I, I love it that much.
0: So it's more. I know Richard we at Wentworth. You said you don't really practice that often anymore, and you and you prefer playing. But is that? more because you you know physically like you need to actually kind of manage your your time and you'd rather spend it playing than practicing
1: no it's more about the the nerve disease i have i okay. I, I can't it's just too painful okay uh, you know like for instance when you know i just came came back from wentworth and i realized that i was getting pretty annoyed and that meant i i was for the first time i really cared about how i played and I said to myself, all right, if I'm going to start trying to play against these, these kids, uh, I'm going to have to practice this, you know, cause you, you can't get better if you don't practice. It just doesn't matter whether you have two legs, one leg or three, you know, you got to practice.
0: Hmm.
1: And, uh, so I've got to see if I can endure the pain or will the pain be as bad, you know, as it was when I tried to practice 10, nine years ago. Um. Uh, so that's, that's my new challenge is to, you know, when I go back to Florida in, in a couple of weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to come up with a routine where I can practice more, but in small amounts, you know, whereas normally you might stay out there for an hour or so, you know, maybe I can go out there for good 15, 20 minutes and then, you know, later in the day do another 20 minutes. And then and then and then try to get better that way. And so I can compete against, you know, Kip and those guys. Yeah. Because right now I can't.
0: So I mean, I'm sure people yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you kind of have a fair idea of what of of what happened. But chat about the about the accident and 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 how it how it occurred and yeah, just the just the aftermath of that if you
1: just turned I had just turned 50 and I, I was playing the senior tour. Mm. Uh, my brother, who was catting for me, and my, my wife, Jeannie, uh, we traveled in an RV, a motorhome. And I was in the back sleeping and the front right tire blew. Now, all I remember is the, the bang of the tire. I don't remember anything else. But the RV went flying Right off an embankment, down a, a pretty good hill, and we crashed into some trees. I must have gotten up and run out because I got sent through the through the windshield. Most of me did, and the other the other leg went through the other side, and that's why I got basically cut in half. Uh, unfortunately, my my wife and brother were killed uh, immediately. They their ne- their necks were snapped. Uh, And I woke up a couple days later and my sister was there and I was like, cause I didn't remember, I didn't remember we even had an accident. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, and then she had to tell me what happened. And so it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough, tough one, but you know, they came to me a couple days later, uh, and they were concerned because my leg was, it was still there, but, you know, they came to me and said, you know, you can keep the leg, but you're going to be dragging it. You know, you're not going to be able to put a whole lot of pressure on it. And I, I just, I gave it, gave an answer in five seconds. I just cut it off. I mean, I'll figure out a way to play.
0: Uh, So that's what we did. You know, we did that. That's super interesting to me because most, well, not most guys, but I've come across a few people um, who in that sort of situation have, kind of delayed the decision kind of holding out hope, but the fact that you were so cutthroat about it actually probably served you well in the long run, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, cause I would have, you know, the, the surgeries and the pain I would have had would, would have been tremendous. At least that's what I was told. Hmm. Uh, I still would have probably still caught that the CRPS disease. So that didn't have, you know, cutting the leg didn't affect that whatsoever. Uh, so you know to me it's like a i mean i i figured it was a no-brainer i mean i'm i'm i'd be lying if i didn't tell you i wasn't pissed that that i I have the disease because it's the what's i i really thought i i could be a lot better than i am if if i worked at it but i can't work at it because you know of the pain but um so i'm a little ticked at that part of it but you know i look at someone like tiger you know who can't uh walk he's in a lot of pain and, and everything. And it's, to me, it's like, well, I don't get this. You know, your, your career is basically over. Just cut it off. If you're in a lot of pain, just cut the damn ankle off. Mm. You know, in his case, it's just the ankle and they, he, he'll be able to play, you know, he wouldn't be the same tiger, but he's not the same tiger now. No. So he'd no. be in a lot less pain though.
0: Mm. Yeah um and you know i mean i'm i'm i work for south african disabled golf and one of the things that um our association always kind of kind of preaches to to our members is the kind of rehabilitative benefits of the game and you know from a mental health standpoint and just kind of being you know out in the open whatever with your friends and all that kind of stuff i mean chat about how golf has helped you kind of get through all of the traumatic events in in your life. I mean, I found it really interesting that you said you, you only picked up the game, um, in Honduras, which obviously was, was a traumatic few years in your life as it was, but did golf kind of serve as something of an escape and, 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 and something you could really kind of throw yourself into?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in, in some ways, golf has almost saved my life twice. I mean, it, it, I know it did, you know, uh, save me, you know, from all the, the the trauma of the sexual abuse when I came back to the States. But, you know, this time around, it, it did. But I, I was also ready for it. I was okay with what happened. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, no one likes what happens. But, you know, whether you believe in God or not, You know, if you believe in God, you have to believe it's going to be all right in the long run. And if you don't believe in God, you better damn well live the life you have. It's the only one you got, big boy. You Don't sit there and drown your sorrows away. Uh, You know, so my feeling was, all right, I've got a new job. You know, I'm going to try to do what I can for disabled uh, golf and what golf can do for you. Because the reason golf's better than all the other games At least, in my opinion, is that it gives you the highs, but it gives you the lows, and we we can't survive without the lows as a human. I don't think we need that because that gives you that builds your character and that builds that fight to get better, so you can get that high again. So that's the great thing about golf is it's it's up and down, up and down, and you know, for anyone who's disabled, you know, you've got other fights, but this is a new fight and. And all of a sudden you're gonna be hooked on that. And the next thing you know, you're hooked on golf. Yeah. And you know, where's I don't I don't know what the number is, but there's a there's millions of us, so to speak. Mm. Uh so that was that was kind of like my new job, you know, do what I can, uh and in terms of helping helping any way I can for to to increase the game of golf in the disabled world.
0: So I mean I yeah, you know, I don't know if this if this is gonna make a ton of sense. But do you ever have these these moments I mean like I I mean I try and play as often as I can but they're the shots that I hit where it's almost like for that however long it takes to to complete a swing it's almost as though I'm not disabled and I and I you know like I flush it I flush an iron or whatever or drain a 25 foot pipe or whatever the case may be and for that split second whatever it actually doesn't feel like you like you are limited physically. Do you ever have that? Um, Oh, absolutely. There's,
1: there's times that I hit shots that I'll tell the people that, that the two legged me couldn't have pulled that one off. You know, it just, that's awesome. It's just, you know, it gives you that, that high. You know, I tell people all the time there, you know, there's no better shot than a pure golf shot. Mm. You know, you can take all the sex you want. There's nothing better than a pure golf shot. And it's, it's great when I occasionally, you know, I will do it. I'll go, I couldn't do it any better if I was two legged. And, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those highs that, that I was referring to that, that, that stays with you.
0: Have you found it difficult though to kind of temper your expectations in terms of what you can go out and shoot on a given day though?
1: Well, I've learned to accept that some days I'm just going to stink. You know, uh, you have, you know, anyone has the up and down every day is different golf pros (coughs) are a little more consistent, but they have them. You just don't see them because they still look pretty good, Mm. but the pros know, you know, and a lot of us are, they're afraid to admit that, but you know, we go up and down and uh, you know, hence someone shoots a 62 and the next day they shoot 72, Mm. you know, it, it, it's just what golf is. And it's uh so you, you have to, you have to accept it. You know, some of the shots I hit, you know, literally I'll top a shot out of nowhere, you know, because the body didn't work right. And it's like, oh, boy. <laughs> 2 <Just laughs> legged guy wouldn't have done that, you know. <laughs> but it's, uh, well, you know, yeah. you, you learn to accept it. It's, you, you know, you, sometimes you can laugh at it and sometimes you are you get pissed.
0: So, I mean, you've you've played a couple of, Events now. You played in the G Four D Open earlier in the year, if, if I'm not mistaken, and then, um, and then now this this event at, at Wentworth a couple of weeks ago. Where do you think the the difference lies between, you know, yourself and and someone like Kip Popitz at the moment in terms of skill level or um, scoring ability at the moment?
1: Well, the biggest difference between someone like me and, and Kip right now, well, age is a huge factor because yeah, distance, yeah. you know, and, and it doesn't matter who you're playing against. If you're 30 yards closer, you're going to have an edge. So, age is a big difference. But it, the other is he, you know, he, he he can practice, and I haven't been able to. Um, this is me and my ego talking. My ego feels like if if I could get back to practicing where I can become more consistent than I could catch them, you know, I I don't know if we'll ever find that, but because of my history and my ability to play under the gun and, and play smarter golf than some of the Mm -hmm. other guys that I've watched, uh, Mm -hmm. who make just really bad mental mistakes. And I think that's the edge I have. It's just a question. I've got to be able to be a little more consistent. It would be fun. I would, I would like to see it, but we'll, well, again, I
0: won't know for a little while whether I can pull it off or not. Yeah, well, like I said to you a, a, a couple of weeks ago, we've got in South Africa, we've got a, a nice—I mean, we've got a nice sort of schedule of like six or seven events throughout the year, and we've got the Cape Town Open, which is always a, a lovely event at the end of every year. So, I mean, if you ever want to try your hand at that, we'd we'd love to. We'd love to have you and. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would give our, our field uh, a lot more a lot more depth and a lot more credibility as well.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I, like I said, uh, the my biggest obstacle again with this, like, sorry, I keep mentioning this stupid disease, but
0: the no, plane rides
1: are, are a problem.
0: Mm, no, uh, I can imagine. It,
1: and yeah. uh, it, it's the strangest thing because, you know, one flight, I'll have no, n- no pain, and another flight, it's you just you're you you can not wait for the plane to, to land you know like i went to california had no issues my flight to england was a nightmare and um uh, so it, it's just that's just the weird thing about this stupid disease
0: yeah so we nearly 50 minutes in and i've been wanting to ask you about your relationship with augusta national basically since the podcast <laughs> began um I deliberately didn't really do too much research because I wanted to kind of hear it in your own words. Um, but yeah, please, please tell us the the story. uh,
1: Howard Harden was the master back in my day. Uh, and I don't know if it's an honor or I'm proud of, but I am probably the most well-known person who's never won a masters considering how many different things that I'm a first at. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, for instance, my sister caddied for me, so she was the first female there. You know the skip shot that they do on 16 in the practice rounds now?
0: Yes. Oh. Well,
1: oh, I, I started that. Uh, I used to get letters telling me not to do it. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually, I should have a, a damn plaque by the edge of the water, but there'll never <laughs> be one there, but... And then the other thing that I started was, uh, you know, on the on the Wednesday the par three event where they had Your the bibs kid. for all the kids. Yeah, I started that. My kids were the first ones to do that. I got Please. letters telling me not to my kids <laughs> fucking do that. And then uh, the other the, the one last thing that I've I've got fame for was sneaking my my uh, my people into the uh, into the Masters because.
0: So that's the story I wanted you to tell but
1: you yeah, can yeah. go ahead. And, uh I was I was <laughs> playing the tournament the week before Augusta. And the 8 passes, they send you 8 family passes and then you buy eight when when you're there. So Ellen, my wife was going to bring up the passes because I didn't take them because I figured I might lose them. So <laughs> we have a fight. I I couldn't tell you what the fight was about but So she decides she's not coming. (laughs) All right, fine, don't come. Just send up the passes. You know, we got 16 people here, five of them are your family. No, I'm not sending the passes. Ellen, you can't do this. You got to send the passes. I mean, you know, this is crazy. And uh, she wouldn't do it. And then all her family members couldn't get her to do it. So I decided to tell the truth and went to Horta Harden's office. I, I said, I'm thinking to myself, well, Everyone's been married. You've been married. We. Everyone has fights. We know how reasonable we can. Both sides can get at times. So I go in there and tell him the whole story and ask him if I could buy eight more because I'm eight short. Sorry. He's Looks a- at me and says
0: no. Sorry. Just, just to. Oh really? But just yeah. to clarify, is he the chairman? Of, was he the chairman at the time? Yeah, he was know? the he was the the chairman of the of Augusta. Okay. It,
1: it was. Uh, he goes no. Get better control of your wife. Exact words. And I was like, oh, boy, guess that didn't go over well. <laughs> but, you know, it was he didn't really like me because of all the, a lot of those other things I had already done. You know, I had done the skip shots. I had done the, the kids caddying, you know, so he didn't he didn't have much of an opinion of me. So now I, I sneak the everybody in. We go back and forth. And we give eight people, the eight youngest. Uh, we just tell them to you know, move around, try not to get caught. Yeah. You know, well, her brother gets caught. Well, he panics under the gun and he rats me out saying I'm here with Ken Green. And so now they know what I'm doing. (laughs) So the next day they start searching me. They want all the badges and all this. So we had to sneak people in the, in the trunk. We put them down on the floor with blankets over them. So I'm the only only uh, player that's ever had to uh, break the rules, I guess. That so I've, I've got uh, I've got a good little little history with it with Augusta.
0: But isn't it it's it's weird to me because now the the tradition of the skip shots and the the kids caddying and stuff is are things they lean into. It's yeah. literally like, well, like I, I think it was just the, the era. You okay. know
1: what I mean? Hort Harden was old school. He took over. I don't know if you remember the name Clifford Roberts.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it was know, he my took time, over from, yeah, yeah. from
1: Cliff. Uh, yeah. So he was still in old school fashion, you know, okay. and, and uh, you know, Augusta has moved on with the, So they're, they're more open. You know, they did the, the, uh, the drive chip and pop that I never, you know, would have never happened back in my day. Uh, the woman's amateur now, you know, they're, mm. they're much more open. Yeah. They're still snobs, don't, make, don't get me wrong. that They are absolute
0: snobs at Augusta. Do you, um, I mean, obviously they, they have made progress and you know now they have the women's amateur there, but do you ever foresee a, 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 a time where they may have a, a, a pro event there? I mean, it, it boggles my mind that someone like, I mean, just pulling a random name, someone like Annika Sorenstam would have never played a competitive round there, as an example. You know,
1: I, I would have to say no. Cause I, I think they want to, this is just my opinion of how they think I, I'd be really surprised if they had a woman's event there, uh, the professional woman's event. Yeah. You know, like they'll do the one round at the women's amateur, uh, which I, in a way I think is terrible. I think they should play all the rounds there, but you know, that's maybe, maybe that will happen 10 year. excuse me, 10 years from now. Hmm. Uh, But I don't think of any time in the the near future, maybe 30 years from now, you know, they'll be more open to it.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, you've been super, super generous with with your time. So one final question, and I'm interested to see in, in which direction you take it. But if you were to play commissioner for a day and you could change one PGA Tour or PGA Tour Champions uh, sort of regulation or law, what would you what would you change and and why? Well, the first thing I, I would I would insist
1: on is being more honest. Uh, professional golfers are the most honest people on the planet, you know, calling shots on them, et cetera, et cetera, and we've literally been run by uh, three of the most dishonest people. Starting with Dean Beeman. Tim Finchman and Jay Monahan. And I think that's terrible. I think we, I'm a huge believer in honesty. So I would certainly demand that if I was to become, you know, commissioner. And then the the rule that I would change, uh, I would probably have to try to convince the players that we need to give more to charity, that you guys are doing pretty well financially uh, and, you know, this is not a this may not be a sustainable product if we keep having to get the sponsors cough up this money. Now we got the Saudi Arabia, which is a, another nightmare in itself. Uh, so they're going to keep putting up the money. So they will keep playing for this. And that's, in my opinion, a terrible thing. So I I guess I would I would I would have fought the live thing harder. I would have I'd have gone around begging all the billionaires.
0: I mean, what do you think, what do you think it's, it's going to look like in, in, in five years time? I mean, do you, do you see a, a kind of harmonious future sort of further down the road or how do you think? It's I going do. To out? I
1: mean, I,
0: I, I think they're gonna
1: basically have that world tour concept. I think mm-hmm. the, the, the current live tour will have splashed back into the regular tour. And the regular tour is going to have more events overseas, you know, playing for that kind of stupid money that the Saudis are going to put up. You know, and, and um, all the Saudis ever wanted was to get involved with the tour. That was their main goal. You can look. Uh, I have a, I have a small blog that I stated this from the beginning. This is about them getting in the tour. And this is what they've gotten. Um, What's
0: your blog called?
1: Uh, that's a good question. It's just Ken Green, just Ken Green okay. golf. Yeah, there's okay. uh, some friends of mine uh, talked me into doing it after the accident. I don't know. So there's, there's, I don't know how many, but there's quite a few. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate, and we'll just you know we're just gonna have to deal with it. There's not there's not much we can do at this point. Hopefully, they can work together, get mm-hmm. the tours back because they should be together. And just, the the real question is, how long is Saudi going to do it? You know, when when this prince dies, is the next prince going to keep doing it? And then if if he doesn't, or the current prince gets a bug up his butt, Mm. and maybe he turns around and says, no, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, and then what happens? You know, this there's a lot of negative that can happen and I, I hope it doesn't, but there's a lot.
0: Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a really, really interesting next, next few years, but thank you so, so much for your time. I, I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed the chat. And it was just fun to just kind of, you know, get to, get to know your story a little bit better and, you know, have a bit of a laugh. And, you know, I had heard that you, you're not afraid to to speak your mind and and so you kind of proved in the throughout the chat so thank you very very much you're welcome it's a pleasure